It does no harm to the mystery to know a little bit about it. Whitley Strieber is one who has dedicated himself to exploring that mystery. His beloved wife and life partner, Anne, who now resides in what we call the afterlife, has made her presence known to Whitley and others in more ways than one, making the mystery of life and the afterlife all the more complex and yet revelatory. In this wonderful exchange with Whitley Strieber, we not only tackle the enigma of the afterlife, we muse about what he refers to as the visitors, or non-human intelligence, and moreover, how the two phenomena may ultimately be connected. Whitley, you have courageously tackled the enigmatic, the inexplicable, and what some refer to as high strangeness with such grace, humility, and eloquence. And after well over three decades in this field of what we call the ET UFO phenomenon, you remain unrelenting in your pursuit to understand what on earth or off is going on. And quite simply, I have a question for you. What drives you? What drives me is the fact that we are living in a little corner of a great big world. And I have come to find ways of seeing that world that are indisputable in my mind, uh, ranging from apparent close encounters of the third kind to out-of-body travel where I have been able to be seen and interact with other people while in that state uh, to extensive interaction with the, the dead and with some unseen presence that is in my life almost daily. And yeah, that's why I'm, I'm on a journey mm. to, uh, to open a door that we have had closed for way too long, maybe that. forever, mm. because we're, 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 in the, we're in a little dark corner. And there's a, an extraordinary world out there. And all we have to do is open the door in order to start participating in it. I love it. I love it. Beautifully said. And I agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more. Seems, though, that some of us, I don't know, tend to have a proclivity in this direction. You, you're certainly one of those people. I, I believe we all have a tinge of both the um, the ability to see and experience and, and perhaps a curiosity. But some are just really like yourself out there what what do you think you let me ask you this what do you think you might see in terms of a quote-unquote breakthrough in your lifetime you think we're close to something i hope there'll be a breakthrough always and i think that as we come under more and more pressure and you remember that there's nothing wrong with what we're doing here the only thing that's wrong is it's a design problem. It's nothing to do with us. We're designed in such a way that we're going to end up overpopulating the planet. And as that pressure rises, and coincidentally, and I don't think it's any coincidence, we come to the end of the age of Pisces and enter the age of Aquarius, mm. we have to come to a whole new level of being and a whole new way of being. And... Uh, it's a it's a sink or swim proposition, uh, and a lot of us are going to want to swim. Uh, let me explain a little bit more about what I mean here. The age of Pisces is it's the age of the fish. The avatar of Pisces was was Jesus, and his that's why his symbol is the fish. And the fish is swimming in the waters of life. The waters of life are the earth, and the earth is giving the little fish everything it needs to survive. Then comes our era, the age of Aquarius. A great new level of freedom erupts at every level of life. But also, the water is poured out. The water carrier pours the water out, and the little fish with it. Mm. And where does the fish end up? 
in a place where little fishes do not belong, which is on dry land. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is to say, the waters of life, which are the earth, give birth to mankind because mankind is now too big to stay in the womb. There's, we're over, overpopulated. The, the species is too big to stay in this womb, and the womb collapses, the waters break, and we end up uh, out in the middle of uh, uh, where we're going to end up on a planet that doesn't work anymore. And mm -hmm. what do we do then? This is what this whole movement is all about. It's not about today. It's not about gradually changing and gradually opening people's minds. It's about creating in enough people the ability to face that shock so that this species, when that happens, and it will, can get up and move on into a new world. And I don't mean going to another planet. I mean making us new. Right. I have never, ever heard your very, as always, eloquent explanation juxtaposed with what we're talking about here. That is very interesting. That definitely warrants a, a conversation in and of itself. I'm, I think I'm going to chew on that and have our audience chew on that for a bit as we move on. But thank you for that. I do appreciate that. Let's go into this, Whitley. Um it was during a recent lecture that I gave in Australia uh, back in January in which I quoted you. You were part of my presentation as it relates to the question of what these beings, what you call the visitors, and how they relate to, to us. What are they? You said, and I want to quote you. This was uh, an interview that you gave. Uh, you, you said, these are both unanswered questions and they are the key questions. We have to approach both questions simultaneously because the presence of this enigma illustrates the fact that we also do not know what we are. We would understand the enigma because we would understand in the context of understanding ourselves. That was powerful for me. I'd like you to elaborate on that a little bit, if you would. Well, I think that to understand the relationship, we have to start in the place where we are anchored, which is in ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have something to hang on to here, uh, in a way. I mean, in a w and I really do mean in a way. We can start, we can talk a little later, if you wish, about the ambiguities of reality, which are very profound. Absolutely, I've, I've got but, that on my list, yes. <laughs> right, but, uh, but there is a, there is a, a level of, of self-acceptance, I would say, that is, the, that is absolutely key to making any progress with this. Uh, in, in, and, you know, Annie and I are in contact from time to time. Mm -hmm. And about a year or a little over a year ago, she had, she said things to me and one of them published on our website as a diary. And I, and I try to be very rigorous about this because my imagination lets me talk to Annie all the time because I know Annie and I can, I can have a very satisfactory conversation with her, which is entirely inside me. And I could be publishing diary entries from Annie every week if I wanted to, mm -hmm. but they would all be basically from me with maybe a few exceptions. However, something happened a few nights ago that was very different and and it fulfilled the criteria that I have set for myself of her saying things that I could not, I do not believe I could have said and that I could have thought about even. And so I published it on the website as a new diary entry. And one of the things that was said is very much relevant to this issue and to your question. And that is, we, we talked briefly about God. Annie is, has a very different and very much more sophisticated idea of God than most people. Annie, uh, most people think of God as something sort of outside of themselves, vague, off somewhere in the universe that kind of created everything and it's sitting there probably waiting with a paddle for when you die to come try to get to get through the gates of heaven and he's going to say hey wait a minute uh i see you did this and that this is nothing to do with the real world but what she said 
was I said, uh, I said, uh, I asked her about God, and she said, when we see ourselves as we truly are, we see God. And that, I think, goes all the way back to your question. And it, it is this journey inside ourselves toward this truth that will enable us to focus on this other entity, which is very real, mm -hmm. which is outside of us, then we will begin to be able to really communicate with it. And the reason is, it's on exactly the same journey. That's why it's here. It wants to do this together. I, I would say, I agree. And I would also say this, Whitley, because a moment ago you said that you could publish something from to put in Annie's diary every week if you wanted to, but you believe that uh, perhaps most of what's coming through is through your imagination. I think I'm going to disagree with you based on what you just said. Everything is inside, including all of who we're connected to, including Annie. Wouldn't that make sense? You're oh, I agree with you. I, I think I think that's correct. But mm -hmm. I didn't. Here's the difference, though. Your imagination filters that. It your imagination makes it yours, and 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 and, and, it, and it has a lack of independent generation. That, let me put it that way. I understand. And I, I mm -hmm. and I think that in this case, there was independent generation. Okay. It's something to think about, because I've thought about this very thing myself. I happen to think imagination is incredibly powerful. In fact, I... I, oh, I, I yeah. yeah, it's a tool. It, it's, you know, when people say, you see him on the television, said, oh, it was only his imagination. Mm. I always think, only? Only, exactly. Only? Because our imagination is what we use to make the world real. That's and right. to a disciplined imagination is the most powerful life tool that a person possesses. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I just get this sense, and I don't want to go off on a tangent. I just, I'm just feeling something very strongly here, almost as if I don't know. Not to say that she's coming through, but I get the sense that there's been a fusion of the two of you within you since her crossing over outside of the physical body. I, I just, I you get know, that's that a, strongly. That's a very interesting and perceptive intuition. It's a real psychic hit. And the reason is I'm looking right now at my left hand. On my ring finger is my ring. On my little finger beside it is Anne's ring. Mm. And this is, symbolizes the fact that we are now sharing the same body. We are two souls sharing one body. And that is absolutely, you hit the nail really? on the head. Absolutely. Shortly after she died, physically, and I went through a period of extraordinary grief, and also Annie is, never was a waster of time. She immediately began making it clear that she was still there, and uh, which I is in my book, The Afterlife Revolution, or our book, I should say, The Afterlife Revolution. Mm -hmm. And after a few days, I realized in, during my meditations, I could actually feel Anne, that she was there. And... Then I heard her say something so extraordinary. She said to me, Whitley, bodies are community property. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I love it. And, and so I got a ring out and put it on my little finger to symbolize the fact that, yeah, there are two souls here. And now we only have one body, but we do have it and we're sharing it. Isn't that something? Wow. Getting a little getting a little chill here. Let's stick with Anne. Anne... Oh my gosh, I know you miss her dearly, but what a gift you have in having her so close by, voluntarily, yeah, uh, voluntarily. I miss, I miss the physical so much. I know, I know. And you know, I have had an experience of being with a person who was dead, who could manifest physically, and I've literally touched that person. And, and while in a state of physical manifestation. So I know it's possible to do that. 
but it takes it, 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 it takes enormous concentration and an enormously powerful attention that has to be built over a lifetime and whether Annie will be able to do it or not one of these days I don't know but right now she has not been able to but she mm-hmm. she's come so close a couple times really oh yeah there was one time in the bed where I slept in the bed I was sleeping and Annie was sleeping beside me and um, it was just a normal night until I realized, wait a minute, Anne's been dead for a year. She can't be sleeping in the bed. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the second that happened, she wasn't there anymore. Right. And I don't know if that was a dream or not, but I will say this. I had a, when I was a little boy, I had an absolutely wonderful dog, a little rat terrier called Candy. And... Um, she and I were extremely close friends. Uh, at night, we used to sleep in bed together and Candy's head on the pillow beside mine. And when Anne first came down to Texas to meet my family, of course, you know, we, we couldn't sleep in the same room because we weren't married. <laughs> and not, not, even though we were living in the same apartment in New York, that was just sort of not discussed. Uh, but... Um, she peeked in on us while we were asleep, and she said to me for years after, she said, as soon as I saw Candy's head on that pillow, I knew I had a rival. <laughs> <laughs> I love now, it. <laughs> off and on for years, Candy has appeared in the bed between us. And I will be lying there, and I'm stroking Candy, and uh, Annie's sleeping away beside on the other side, and I'm, I'll be stroking Candy and enjoying her presence. And it's just as real as if, she was physically there, and then I think, start to think, oh, how old Candy is, and I sort of calculating in my head, and I said, wait a minute, no dog could be sixty-eight. <laughs> and then I wake up, but oh. one time, one night, when this happened, there was a very strange incident immediately afterwards. It wasn't a dream; I was already awake, and I saw a vision, and it felt like it was coming out of out of the dog somehow, uh, a vision of driving down a road with big hedges on both sides, a narrow road, and car lights started to come toward us. And then it was gone. And Anne was a genius interpreter of dreams. She was Mm. stunningly good. So I said to her, told her the story in the morning. She laughed and she said, you know, she'd often had well uh been aware of candy's presence and uh so she we laughed about that and uh uh it, and then the next thing that happened was i told her about this vision and she said whitley that was a warning from candy if we're ever on a if you're ever on a road like that turn around immediately because you're going to be killed if you don't wow a year later we were in england going to a crop circle conference in devises and we were driving to Stonehenge, and in the evening to see uh, to see that someone had uh, Lucy Pringle actually had arranged for us to have a private v- visit to Stonehenge at, at sunset. Mm-hmm. So you know I'm no driver for left hand driving. I'm I not know. good. At it. <laughs> yeah. So we're going down this road, and suddenly it it. It was like deja vu. I was on the road I had seen that night. And then here were the car lights. And Annie immediately said, Whitley, turn around. And I stopped. I pulled over to the side, and that car passed us at 70 miles an hour. And I realized I hadn't turned our lights on. Oh my God. He didn't oh. even know we were there. We would have all been killed. And that dog had saved our lives. There's no question in my mind about that. So, now wait. Let me let me finish. Go I, ahead. I, you I, can tell him. I'm <laughs> I'm pretty prolix, but I, I don't love it. Go go going. go. <laughs> so just here we go. The denim wise, this one night about a year after Annie died, she did show up in the bed, and I just. I, I know it was her, and I know she was trying hard, 
but we couldn't sustain it. And what this gets to is, where I'm going is, there is a, it's almost a something that has to do, I think, with quantum indeterminacy, in that if you, if you kind of relax into one of these states and don't push your consciousness or your, your attention toward it, it will continue. But as soon as you place your attention on it, it kind of uh, coalesces into something more ordinary. In other words, the ordinary world re returns, the door closes. Opening the door is a matter of being in a state of continuous surrender mm -hmm. of your own will to the greater will that is actually your real real will, which we are all a part of. And that's hard to do on both sides of the fence. I understand completely. I get the feeling of neutrality. Perhaps this is why in the dream state, Whitley, where the... <laughs> When the conscious mind is at least temporarily out of the way, we can have these ecstatic experiences, transformational experiences, anomalous experiences. Yes. We, and then the conscious mind comes back in and bang. And that's it. Hence the but, reason we but, lose. But, here, yeah. but here's the thing. It's not the conscious mind. It's the practical mind. The conscious mind con includes all of this. Well, this is true. I, perhaps I put it the wrong way. The waking consciousness, yeah. I, I guess, is really what I meant to say, not the conscious mind. You're absolutely right about that. But us, that left brain, that, that pesky part of us that just has to, uh, uh, you know, try to distill what's going on or push something happening. I agree with you completely. Let me, yeah, but that, that pesky part of the brain is important because it's important you, don't, you don't use that pesky part of the brain, you're going to burn your dinner. This is other things. Well, you know, I was listening to someone, actually, I was on somebody else's radio show recently where they were talking about the right brain, which is equally if, to me, if not more important, particularly in these times. And he said that he had read that we, on average, use the right brain, that more intuitive side, only about 5% of the time. So easily, we've got an equilibrium problem here. <laughs> Both yeah, are necessary. Clearly. Both are necessary. But we need to know when to kick one in and when to tell the other to... to to shut up. <laughs> so listen, keeping on Annie, because it, honestly, she really and I have listened to quite quite a bit of your, your dial, your, your um, talking about Annie and how she's come through to you. And here's here's a quote, I'm going to quote her again, that I actually made a little little banner out of and put on my Facebook page, because I thought it was so profound. It says simply, the human species is too young to have belief, what we should have are questions. And when I heard you uh, say, uh, or talk about Annie saying that, I thought, here, here, it's all about the questions. Beliefs are dangerous. Yeah, beliefs are a disease, is what they are. Mm. They're a mental illness, a form of mental illness. You know, and, and, and they're also an escape, because we're alone here in a very profound way the physical world belongs to us and we can't get out of it and whatever happens in it happens to us and there is no calvary coming from some distant place to save us it isn't going to happen we are literally alone here with this and that is something that no single person ever that never leaves your consciousness and ever not ever but at the same time, this means that we cling to things. We are desperate to, to, to control nature by saying, well, it's a god, or it's a, it's mm. a, you know, if we pray to so-and-so, then this will not happen, or that, or, and, and then we get to the point where, well, you know, he's praying to another god. And that's making my God mad. So when we're going to have a fight here. We've fought all of our history. It's covered in blood, the blood of believers yeah. fighting each other over fantasies. It's all fantasies. Agreed. Agreed. I absolutely agree with you. And yet belief, it seems to be the cornerstone of most people's lives. I, I have to tell you the truth. I've never been a believer in anything. I Me neither. I haven't. Well, I, I, I take it. I was until I met my wife, and she cured me. Yeah. 
because you understand what that is. Belief to me is simply the acceptance of something that has been told to you by something outside of you that you have decided to adopt. I say, so. yeah, you, you, you said, uh, you say, I decide I believe this because it gives me comfort. Yeah. But that's, you know, you learn sooner or later that that's actually not comfort. Because we, we tell ourselves we believe these things, but down deep we know we don't. And this is why it, it, you pe people scream from pulpits all the time and scream about this and scream about that. They're screaming themselves down. Hmm. That's what it's all about. Hmm. Uh, th that passion is the passion of the truth. Screaming, I believe so they won't hear the little whisper inside. No, you don't. <laughs> I love it. That's that's a, that's an interesting way of putting it. But for ha Annie to say we should have questions, I love the quote. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead, please. I was going to say I love the quote by um, uh, Richard Feynman that says, "We know we live in a mystery." This is outside of the quote. You know, exploring the mystery is what I what I believe we should do. And he says, "It does no harm to the mystery to know a little bit about it, but in order to know a little bit about it, we've got to have the questions first right, right. to explore." Yes, exactly. And, and belief is implied that there's it's been settled. Nothing has been settled. We know nothing. I say, no. I say more than anything when I'm asked a question. I don't know. And I'm okay with it, but let's let's uh, continue to ask the questions. Okay, so <laughs> I think we're on the same page there. Let's. I'm looking at the clock, and we're on, we've got about maybe 15 minutes left or so, and I'd like to get a few few things in. There's so many, so much wisdom, Whitley, that you have imparted to us over the years, and and uh, giving us more every day. So I wanted to just try to capture a few things that you've talked about. This has to do with your philosophy uh, about the nature of non-human intelligence. As we said offline, I prefer to refer to them as that. You've said that you feel, and this is an interesting one, you said that you feel that contact with the, quote, visitors and contact with the dead are the same thing. And you seem pretty confident about that idea. How did yes. you arrive at this conclusion? I'm curious. Hi, this is Alexis Brooks from Higher Journeys. If you like what you're hearing during this conversation with Whitley Strieber, you'll definitely want to tune in to Conscious Commentary this Friday, where I will be weighing in on some of the intriguing ideas Whitley had to share with us. We'll dive a bit deeper into the reality that exists between us and non-human intelligence and more. So be sure to tune in on Friday, April 26. And please don't forget to subscribe. And when you do, hit that notification bell so you'll be alerted as soon as our show airs. And now, back to our program. Well, it came very, it's a very interesting thing that happened. Uh, we started getting all these letters from people all over the world uh, about close encounter experiences. And not after I published Communion in 1987, and not just, you know, like 20 letters or 50 letters, but 10,000, then 50,000, then millions. It was just extraordinary, great piles of them coming in. And Annie started reading them. I mean, it was just looked impossible to me, but, you know, she was a pretty fast lady with a, with a, <laughs> a letter opener, and this is before email. And, you know, these letters were whipping in, and uh, we were... She was reading them and uh, sorting them out. And one day she came out of her office and she said, Whitley, this has something to do with what we call death. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, these letters, one after another, mentioned the dead in relation to the close encounter experience. Mm -hmm. And... About that same time, a call came into my literary agency, and this was before the internet had gotten going. So when somebody found my literary agency, that took effort. That person was working hard. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And the literary agent said, we've received a call from this man who is desperate to talk to you. And he's an FAA inspector, and he lives in the South, and he has something personal that he needs to talk to you about. And, you know, I was getting people trying to call me 
out the wazoo at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, he's worked hard to try to find me. And he's got something to do with the FAA. Maybe he's got something about UFOs. Little did I know what he actually wanted to talk about. So I called him. And he said, Mr. Strieber, I would like to tell you a story. And I said, okay. And he said, a few nights ago, uh, my wife and I were sitting in the living room and our seven-year-old boy was asleep upstairs in bed at about 10. We have an old dog and I had taken the dog out. And the dog was asleep in the living room like he always is at that time of night. And suddenly he became very restless, unusual. And my wife said, well, I'll take him out again. And she took him out. And as she walked out the front door, a huge light went past the house overhead and down behind the trees. And she called out to me, you're going to get a call soon. He was worked for the FAA. I just saw a plane going in on fire. At that moment, their son, their little seven-year-old boy, came running down the stairs saying, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, little blue men came in my room and they had Jimmy with them. And he said to tell you he's all right. And this was his older brother who had died in an auto accident the week before. Oh, my gosh. And the man said to me, Mr. Strieber, I want to know if I have any reason to believe that this actually happened. And I said, I can tell you that there are many people who see these supposed aliens in the context of the parents of their own dead. This is not uncommon at all. And there was a long silence on the phone and we, we hung up. Now, that is only one of many stories. Mm -hmm. When the visitors showed up, would show up at our cabin and Annie was, <laughs> Annie had an uncanny thing about this. She, she would be looking through the letters and she would suddenly throw one aside and say, this one, we've got to get to the cabin. Uh, uh, this one we've got to get to the cabin and inevitably when these people showed up at the cabin they would have close encounters of the third kind mm -hmm. at the cabin i've heard some of the stories yes mm -hmm. yeah yeah and uh uh it, it, annie's secretary who she found also from the letters uh she's i don't know if i've told you this story before but she said she was saying she needed a secretary which was absolutely true she needed like 10 of them but uh and suddenly she says well i found a secretary she hands me a letter and it's a letter from this lady talking about her close encounter experiences and the, she mentions the fact that she's a singer and an actress and i said but she says she's a singer and an actress and says have you ever heard of her i said well no and she said well look at the handwriting that's the handwriting of a professional <laughs> and, and so she calls her up and they talked for a minute. I hear him, and she says, oh, good. Well, come over right now. You can start right now. Oh. And uh, she turned out to be living, like, next door to us mm -hmm. and had all of these experiences. But one of them is very germane to all of this. Remember those little blue men? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Lori was lying in bed in the mid-'50s, pregnant when she noticed movement in the bedroom her husband was away on a gig it was 11 o'clock at night and she glanced up and standing beside the bed was a line of these little dark blue men and of course she was absolutely terrified because of that back in the 1950s you'd never ever think about anything right like of course and the one at the front laid his hand on her and said, do not be afraid. We're not here for you. We're interested in the girl child you're carrying. Hmm. <laughs> it really calmed her down. I know, oh, right? I'm fine, oh, thanks. Not exactly. <laughs> and when she began to recoil, he said, why do you fear us? And she said, because you're so ugly. <laughs> and he said, 
my dear, one day you will look just like us. They called themselves Soltex. And they said to the children that they, they would come to the children at our cabin that they were doctors, soul doctors, and they would shine little lights on them to look at their souls inside their bodies. And I think they're not aliens. I think that this species, the human species, is like so many other species on Earth. It has more than one form. Absolutely. Mm. And that form is the form that moves souls around. In other words, when you die, those are the ones who, who, who work with your soul to continue, so it can continue on its journey or not, depending on whatever happens. I, that's a part of life I, I'm, that is hidden to most of us, including me. Um, that's why I always say, well, uh, people say, well, what should I do? I said, just live a good life. Do your best. Absolutely. You know, that's don't, don't do. die with regrets. Listen to the, listen to the ancient Egyptians and, you know, they had uh, a diet lighter than a feather. And, yeah. and that's, that's because you, you have lived an, an honest and balanced life and not hurt others. I have two questions I want to ask based on that. That was a lot of information there, Whitley. But I'm thinking about these blue soul techs is what they called themselves. That's, that's what they, what they called themselves, yes. That's okay. And they, they had sort of a dark blue hue to them. And yes. you're perhaps intimating that there's a connection with them and, and maybe moving the soul that's leaving the corporeal form, moving on to where, whatever is next. Isn't it interesting that, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, perhaps you are, that many of the uh, individuals that have died, that that have had witnesses around them, and have seen some substance, somewhat transparent, obviously, emerge from the body and move in an upward fashion. They call it the soul. It's often been described as being dark blue. That I did not know. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating, and I guess uh, you know those—they're going to become Soltex then. They're going to become Soltex. Yeah, I, I hope it's. I oh, hope. God. I hope this is an accurate description of reality because it sounds like a really fun way to be and as a species. <laughs> I mean, we have two forms at least, and maybe more. I would think more, perhaps infinite. Who knows? Well, that would bring us into if we if we are multidimensional, I would dare say that we've got a multitude of forms. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah, moving around simultaneously. God only knows. I don't know. That's my favorite answer. <laughs> I don't That's know. That's the best answer. It's because... the best answer because you stay open. And the moment I do, uh, no, I don't. I won't. Frustrating it may be, but I don't know. Perhaps the universe, I say, will eventually meet us halfway and show us what's really happening. But in the meantime, we keep asking those questions keep asking those questions. Let's talk. Let's talk a little bit. I want, I'm bouncing around a little bit. But again, so much good stuff to talk about with you, Whitley. You recently, I don't know, about uh, two or three months ago, you spoke with one of my colleagues, Jeff, Jeff Mishlove. Uh, on yes, I know Jeff. Program. Yes, he's wonderful. About something called, among many other things, you were talking about the sensing exercise, something that you learned many years ago from an organization that I can't call the name offhand begins with a G and you'll help me with it, but that's not, I will. that's not the point. <laughs> I want to talk about the sensing exercise where you talk about moving your attention. This is th- during the meditation process where you're moving your attention, focusing your attention into the physical sensation of your own body, really sensing your own nervous system. And I know that this is a very methodical process as, as you've described it, but interestingly, you said that you feel that if it had not been for using this process in your meditation since, I think, 1970, you don't think the visitors would have made contact with you. And actually, you said they wouldn't have seen me. And I found that to be really powerful. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. <laughs> uh, um, the, the organization is the Gurdjieff Foundation, G-U-R-D-J-I-E-F-F Foundation. And you can easily... Google it, folks, and if, if anyone is interested, you know, the foundation is there and it's accessible. 
Um, it's a very rigorous organization, though. It's it's not for it's not for the faint of heart, uh, mm. and uh, it's extremely serious about the journey toward higher consciousness and greater consciousness. As are many different paths, but mm. this was my path, as it turned out. And I learned at the beginning of my time in the foundation that the human attention is movable. In other words, we can move our attention. Normally, our attention goes out to whatever we're doing in, you know, in the world around us. But we can take it or take part of it back and live a bigger life because we can see ourselves inside our lives and begin to see more clearly what is real around us. And the beginning of this is the sensing exercise, which you take your attention and you methodically place it on one part of your body and then on the next until you place it on your legs, your arms, your torso, your head, and you now have your attention on your whole body. Now, what I did not know at the time and I don't think that the uh, the uh, uh, probably in the people in the foundation didn't know this either was that when you do that, it changes the energy in your nervous system, and that attention, that awareness, enters the nervous system of the body and makes you visible in other levels of reality, and it will draw interest because you're like. I, I, you know, when I when the visitors started coming to me, it was probably because I was doing this every night in my cabin in upstate New York, and they were seeing this little light come on at about 11 o'clock every night in this cabin mm. in an otherwise entirely dark world. And they got interested and came in, and the relationship started. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, they... They banged me up a good bit, but that was initiatory. You know, they were they were waking me up, and it took from October to December. It wasn't just the experience in December the, of 1985. Mm -hmm. It started in October, and by December, they were berserk. I mean, they were going crazy because they could not get through to me. Right. And finally, they dragged me out of the house, and they got through to me. Wow. Well... <laughs> Again, I'm shaking my head because you have to wonder, you know, when they say that we're all equal, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this, we're all created equal. I don't know if I agree with that. We're all different. We're connected. But I don't know that we are all equal, certainly not in the experiential. How is it that some of us are steeped in experience, can't get away from it? We attract, if you will, the, the paranormal, I don't like that word, I think it's a misnomer, but nonetheless, where others are grasping to have one experience. Why is that? Have you asked yourself that question of yourself and the myriad yeah, well, experiences you've had? Actually, there's, a, there's some scientific work I'm aware of that hasn't been published yet. So I'm, I can't go into too much detail about it, but it's, there's, papers are being worked on with regard to this, and it is about uh, the way meditation, and in particular, apparently, meditation processes like the one I just described, which are very physical, uh, it, it, it changes the brain. Uh, there are two parts of the brain, the caudate and the putamen, mm. which are connected by a, uh, a lot of neurons that connect the two, a bridge. And these areas of the brain are related to intuitive thinking and things like that. And uh, the, uh, if you meditate a lot, this, the connections grow. Mm -hmm. And my brain has actually been in a study where it has been seen that these connections are very, very extensive in my brain. And that would be true of any meditator. And a lot of people, like psychics, are often people who were just born this way. Mm -hmm. But it, it, the interesting thing is, we can all become this if we want to. But it takes time. It's not something that, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to do this in a day. Uh, but if you, if you start meditating and, you know, and you do it regularly, uh, it, your 
the connections will grow. Mm -hmm. And the intuitive part of your brain will begin to be able to pick up more of hyperdimensional reality sure. and you will become more intuitive and more psychic etc and so forth mm, that that's, so that that's the physical side of it right right well again there are lots of there's lots of uh, uh layers to peel back from that onion because i think it is quite complex i think that's oh, certainly yeah. central to the, the how that happens but i think that there may be some other factors as well so we'll have to i'm making copious notes here in my brain because i like to revisit <laughs> these one day with you because each of these things that we're touching on obviously could be a a thesis in and of itself. But as we close out, a couple more things. Uh, I want to obviously end talking about your wonderful, uh, um, a couple of talks coming up at Contact in the Desert. But before we get there, I have to get this in. I want to talk briefly, if we can, if we can try to sum this up, on the paradoxical nature of reality. I've always found this interesting, how, how reality appears to be, uh, in some strange way, a paradox. And as I was reading the forward to uh, your book, one of many, by the way, obviously, The Supernatural, Why the Unexplained is Real, looks like a really juicy book. I haven't read it yet, but I'm definitely going to. That's on my at the top of my list. You co-wrote that with Jeffrey Kripal, if I'm pronouncing yes. that correctly. And I want to quote Jeffrey's words. You're both brilliant writers. By the way, you know that I don't have to <laughs> tell you that, but Je Jeffrey, I was I was incredibly impressed with his his way of uh, articulating. Uh, he wrote the forward, I believe, in the book, and he was so incredibly apt in sort of illuminating this idea that reality is indeed a paradox, and why it's necessary to understand. And, and I want to get your thoughts on a quote he said about you in the forward. He says, "Quote." Whitley sets on our shared table, talking about putting this project together, this book, Whitley sets on our shared table his visions of alien spectral figures that seemed at once physical and not physical, at once a thing and a thought, at once sexual and spiritual, at once traumatic and ecstatic. And, you know, you've been keen to point out these characteristics of the so-called uh, visitors before. But clearly, you're painting a paradox here. How do we, or how do you, reconcile for yourself the seemed paradoxical nature of this non-human intelligence that seems to be so in our face? They represent all of these things. Yeah, I think it is trying to wake us up, to get us to uh, to be aware of the fact that it's there. Because, you know, there's always the possibility, and I don't ever discount this, that this is literally a visitation from aliens in, in, in some way connected to reality like we are. But even if that's not what it is, or that's not all that it is, and I think if that is what it is, it's also not all that it is. Mm. What is happening here is somebody wants a companionship with us. Maybe they've been waiting for this a long time. Maybe they just found us. But I do know this from looking at the universe around us so far. Uh, the the uh, uh, reality is that we are really rare, and so are they. Because intelligent life is not common in this universe. There's no question in my mind about that anymore hmm. in the in the physical universe. And we might be like more precious than the most precious diamond you can imagine. And we're in jeopardy. We're at a time of profound transition on our planet. No question. And so, of course, they're here and they're interested. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I agree. I, I, I who, who knows? I think, but again, the paradoxical nature of, of, of all of this is apparent, it seems, in, in every aspect of our, of the experiential. They're both a thing and a thought. They're here and they're not. <laughs> I don't know. They're physical. They're non-physical. They're benevolent. They're malevolent. They're all of the above. Well, I don't right. know that we'll be able to, to reconcile that in this one talk. But <laughs> listen, in closing, in closing, for real now, we're going to wind this up because, you know, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> Let's spend a few minutes discussing your upcoming appearance at next month's Contact in the Desert, of which I will be joining you and many others that we both know and love. I know you're going to be giving Whitley uh, both a lecture and a workshop. 
your lecture is entitled Wild and Wonderful UFO and Alien Videos. And the workshop you're giving is called Alien Contact, A Miracle Denied. Can you give us a little teaser as to what each of these is about? In the sure. Yeah. Um, the first one is I'm going to collect, pull together all of the videos I've gotten. I, I have some really, really unusual videos and uh uh and talk about them and have fun with them yeah and i'm gonna good. i'm gonna gonna sh show some videos from our uh unknowncountry.com's out there section which is carefully curated uh -huh. so that the videos in other words the videos in there have been studied they're not professionally studied they're not uh it's just something somebody thought might be real mm -hmm. and uh uh gonna gonna spend I guess it's 90 minutes talking about these things and and just basically the idea is to uh look at this wonderful fun delightful mystery and to see some things that uh, you won't necessarily see every day. Yeah, I believe uh, that. <laughs> and the second one, Alien Contact a Miracle Denied uh has evolved. It's the book is now not called that anymore. It's called A New World. Mm -hmm. And we will be talking about this new world that is emerging between us and the visitors. That's going to be exciting. Both of them will be for sure. I'm going to try if I can duck out of some of my MC. <laughs> I'll be MCing, running around, introducing. I don't know if I'm introducing you or not. We'll see. Maybe. But well, it'd be I, lovely if you did. It'd be great. It'd be great. But either way, we'll get to hook up there again. And I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to seeing some of you out there in the Higher Journeys audience uh, join us in Indian Wells, California, May 31st through June 3rd. Indian Wells. Uh, renaissance indian wells resort and spa it's a fabulous venue with fabulous people and talking about the things that we love so much so i hope y'all will go over to contactinthedesert.com to get your tickets to this always exciting and groundbreaking event well listen mr streber at long last i am so excited what a treat to have you on today and I thank you hope it won't thank be you our last much. oh it's been a blast and listen i don't know if i can say you you had a little bit of work done a little had a little out of commission for a little bit yeah i am yeah i had my knee replaced <laughs> okay so everyone please let's wish whitley a speedy recovery and you stay put don't be running around <laughs> Stay put and get okay. healthy, will you? <laughs> thank you very much. All right, Whitley, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on Higher Journeys. We'll talk to you soon.